flourish, are we not? Yes. Praise God. And remember, uh, Wednesday night, uh, everything that we're talking about, about the love of God is building up to God, demonstrating His love in you, through you, and to you, uh, where He's going to do miracles in your midst. And then I'm believing that uh, uh, Pastor Sidney was telling me about how he's been ministering on healing. And you know, with everybody out there today that is terrified of sickness and disease, we need emissaries of healing that know and understand it and have a good grip on it. And so I would take those lessons, but one of the things that makes it hard for people to receive is when they do not understand how much God loves them. And so we're gonna, not only going to help you, but give you some ammunition to answer some questions in particular tonight. Now before we do, I want to give away something. Now, speaking of healing, this is healing school. Uh, this is, uh, normally our conferences are seven sessions. Uh, they run Thursday night, two sessions on Friday, one on Friday night, two sessions on Saturday morning, and then one or two on uh, Sunday or on Saturday afternoon. And so this, I believe this is seven sessions on healing. Now, I do healing school a little bit different. Um, I actually start dealing with a lot of the things that people argue about with healing is concerned. And then by the end of it, I t talk about how you receive healing. But then usually we finish it off with, this is how you administer healing to other people. And so I'm going to ask Patrick to give this away. Well, hold on just a second. Just so you know my testimony, um, I, I was sick with an incurable disease. Uh, I had a, it was celiatic sprue back then. Everybody talks about sprue back these, uh, nowadays and everybody's got a gluten-free diet. Back then it wasn't cool to have a gluten-free diet and um, everything tasted like cardboard and um, I had actually, I, my allergy was so severe that it affected my brain and my body, uh, my ability to absorb nutrients. Um, and so I, it had messed with my head so bad that uh, that's how I ended up getting to a fight with a street gang out in front of the pool hall. My, that's when my mother knew something was wrong. She said, you know, I know he's hurt people before, but he's never hurt this many people out in front of God and everybody. And they knew there was a problem with my head. And so I'm sick. And then I go in and they tell me that you got this thing that you will never really be able to, if you ever eat wheat, you'll never be able to trust anything that you think again. And they had told me that all these things that had been going on in my life, that I basically could not trust myself. And at the time, my brain was my God. Uh, I'd been told from since I was a child that you, you might fight somebody that's faster. You will fight people that are stronger, but you better never ever fight anybody that's smarter. And so there was a premium placed upon thinking and being able to outthink. And then when a doctor sits there and tells you, I'm telling you, you can't trust anything you've thought. I had broken up with a girl at Christmas. We were talking about getting married. And when he got, the doctor tells me that I'm sick, and he, say, he asked me, have you been acting irrational? Have you been doing all this stuff? And I'm thinking, yeah, I, I have. And he says, well, I think you have this condition. And I said, would you be willing? I said, I love this girl. She is my everything. I've loved her more than anybody I've ever loved in my life. Would you be willing to call her and tell her that there was something wrong with me and explain that this wasn't me doing all these crazy things. And he looks at me and he says, son, you don't understand what I'm trying to tell you. I'm telling you that once you get this wheat out of your system, you might not even like her. You can't trust a thing you've been thinking. 
And so then, and then when they tell you it's incurable, you'll deal with it all the rest of your life. The way you're going to deal with it is you'll never eat wheat or have tryptophan or anything grain-fed to the point that you can't eat frozen food because it has wheat preservatives. And if you have more than six ounces of wheat in your system, you will lose your ability to define cause and effect relationships. And then they, you know, you're sitting there and you think that your world is over and the God that you've been serving your brain has bowed its knee. And then Jesus shows up and explains to you he's not done with you yet, no matter what you've done with your life. And we're going to get into that tonight. But I want to, when I talk about healing school, um, since then I've been healed of, uh, I had my spinal cord damaged in three places. My, I had a whiplash. I've, got, I've gotten healed of that. I got healed of a hernia. Uh, I got healed of, uh, I, I used to, I, I jumped off a building one time and then uh, I, I didn't, I actually had done it repetitively and so I had damaged uh, a bunch of uh, uh, vertebrae in my back and the guy, they actually told me one time, if you sneeze really, really hard, you might not be able to walk anymore. And um, since I'm a guy who sneezes four times every time I sneeze, it's pretty serious. Uh, and I don't have any of that. Not one single thing. And it's not because of who I am, it's because of who He is and what He has done in my life. And I explain what I've learned over these last several years. So now, if you, look at, if you find somebody who looks like they really seriously need help, uh, give that to them. Um, also, Pastor Sidney talked about the television program. I wanted to kind of show you this because uh, this is a Christian TV program. Let me start this off for you get started but and I'll tell you a little bit about it we're going to go ahead and kick this on and uh, we'll watch the first few minutes of it or a minute of it maybe to succeed in life we have to fight that's why winners train spirit soul and body we have to be ready when the fight starts all the theories are over we either have it or we don't we will get hit, but we get back up. We fight to win. Hello, I'm Kurt Owen. Welcome to Fight to Win. You know, frequently I ask myself, what are things that I wish I would have known when I first got saved that I wish people so would have this explained is a, to me? It's a completely different looking Christian TV show. Could we agree? <laughs> um, now... Uh, at the, end of this, at the end of the episode, we do what's called a tactical tip where we teach something that we would normally teach to law enforcement professionals and things. Uh, the first 14 episodes are only on the local church. We don't even talk anything about traveling ministries. We don't really talk that much about Curdo Ministries. We talk about the importance of this place and the importance of pastors. One of the big things that happens out there in the body of Christ, unfortunately, is People think because somebody's on television that somehow they have a uh, more accurate voice than that of their pastor. And so one of the things that has tremendously blessed me is to be on television saying to people, you need to listen to your pastor more than you listen to me. And just because I'm on TV doesn't mean that I'm more accurate than what your pastor's telling you. And it's something that needs to be told. We need to have more people on television talking about the importance of the local church. But from there, we teach a bunch of other things. Let me tell you a testimony about this. We've been submitting this to uh, national networks. In one of the national networks, it is a Christian television network. And one of the producers, I haven't told this story here, right? About, okay. 
One of the producers, they, they're a little nervous about the show, to be honest. Because they said, nobody's ever done anything like this before. We're not sure how this is going to be received. And um, so they, this woman who's a producer, one of their top producers, says, I'm going to show it to my son. He's not saved, but he's a tactical person. I want to see if this guy actually knows what he's talking about. And so the son sits there and watches, watches the show. She just wanted him to watch the opening that I just showed. He sat down and watched the entire program from start to finish. She was amazed. She said, my son really, really needed that. She said, but for whatever reason, he would sit and listen to this guy and wanted to know, do you have any more? Now, I've learned enough about ladies that ladies respect good teaching, so they're going to listen to somebody who teaches well. But men need something a little bit extra to, to let them know that this guy that they're listening to actually can identify with who they are, that is not trying to get them not to be a man. And so that's really the purpose of this television show, is we're going to be going out into the airwaves, reaching out into our country, Letting men know it's okay to serve Jesus and still take care of your family. Still stand up for what's right. Still stand up for courage and righteousness. And uh, so when you partner with us, that's one of the things that we're doing. Uh, We just recently, one of the networks actually offered us to go on. We would actually start on national television. We could go daily or weekly. um, And... uh, they actually offered us a very good rate, but a very good rate for doing daily television on four different networks throughout the nation is $30,000 a month. Uh, that was a bit more than what we were anticipating, <laughs> uh, but we are believing God. And so partners, every, every life that will be changed, this church, every life that will be changed will uh, come to your account. And we've already had some tremendous testimonies. We've had young men contacting us. And uh, wanting to talk about the things of God. And that is an amazing thing. Amen? Now tonight we're going to get into something. And um, I have a lot to say. And I want to talk to people tonight that have made mistakes or will make mistakes. So, and we're going to deal with, because one of the the things that's a difficulty with the love of God... Is, is that people don't really understand how God reacts, how He deals with things, especially with His own people. So we're going to look at a couple things tonight. And what I want you to do tonight is I want you to find where you identify with these people. I want you to find that if you cannot identify with them tonight, but you find yourself identifying with them tomorrow, I want you to understand how your Father sees you. Okay, go with me to Genesis chapter 3. Now, we've already read about how they fell, correct? I think we did that maybe the first night, right? About how uh, she ate of the tree and then gave to her husband there with her. So now everything has gone south. And it says, um, now I want you to think about this for just a second. God's dream was to have a family. He wanted to have a family. He wanted to have people that um, he, he could sit down and, and, and visit with and fellowship with. He wanted to have people that, that, that they could walk together and, and we visit 
and just be family. He could teach them the family business. He could give them a creation and he could sit and work with them and tell them how to name things and and see how everything worked and, and get them the opportunity to create themselves and to replenish the earth. Right? This is his dream. You know, that's one of the sad things about God is that God is the righteous judge, but He's also never identifies Himself as judgment. He identifies Himself as love. He identifies Himself as light. It's interesting that when they formed the Ark of the Covenant, above the law was the what? What was above the law? The mercy seat. Why is it we forget that? That when he wanted, before he would look at the law, he wanted to see mercy. He wasn't looking to bang people in the head with a hammer. Now, so now, Adam has uh, lost the planet. He has completely betrayed God's dream. Taking a step further from that, he has... um, uh, he has, the, the person he sold it to was God's enemy. This is a pretty bad day. So, in this, this is what happens. It says that he ate and he also gave, she also, in, uh, we're in verse uh, 6, latter part. She also gave to her husband to eat there with her. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. Now, um... How many of you, uh, y'all, anybody uh, drive in here tonight, right? But did you notice the weather in between walking to the car? How many of you are grateful that your clothing was not fig leaves this evening? (laughs) I mean, because we could all agree that here's man now in his wisdom... After losing his connection with God, after death is setting in, and his lightning fast mind is we're going to get a bunch of leaves, and we're going to sew them together. Now, I don't know about what it's like up here, but in Florida, if you separate a leaf from the life source, the tree, the leaf begins to shrivel. So this guy's got this idea, I'm going to pluck this thing and then now I'm going to put death on me and now I'm going to watch this thing just shrivel up on me. And this is my plan. (laughs) How many of you realize this is a stupid plan? It hasn't rained yet, but it's a stupid plan. This is not going to work. So then all of a sudden, because he's starting to feel the effects of the death set in, God shows up, wants to talk to him. Notice here that uh, it says that when he heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. Then the Lord God said, called to Adam and said, where are you? And he said, so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So now his sin is seeking him to, be, to make him alienated from God. Now God is still reaching out to him. How many of you realize God knew that something had happened? 
that this wasn't a shock to him. He didn't show up like, my God, is it all gone? It's like, no, I, no, I, hey, how you doing? What's going on, man? He's trying to talk to him. Who's reaching out to who? The Lord is reaching out to this man. He's calling out to him. What's his response? He's scared of him and he goes to hide. Doesn't run to him. Doesn't run to him and say, Daddy, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Daddy. I, I made a mistake. In fact, when he is confronted, he doesn't take any responsibility at all. He says this. He said, when I heard your voice in the garden, I was afraid because I was naked. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me to the tree and I ate. Okay, this is, this is a, a, quite a piece of work. You would have to, uh, you'd have to go on to one of our national news media stations to find something like this. Where I'm going to blame everybody else but me. You gave me this woman. So ultimately, you did this. But if you don't like that idea, she then gave me of the tree to eat. I am an innocent bystander between you and the woman. I can't figure out why you and the woman put me in this place, but here I am. I will tell you this about sin. Do not ever run from your responsibility in it. Take immediate possession of what you have done. I did it. It was me. Nobody made me do it. The devil didn't make me do it. My wife didn't make me do it. I did it. Because if you do not, you are doomed to continue in it. You have no intent on changing. And I can tell you as a man who pastors, pastors all over the world, the most heartbreaking thing to me in the world is when I'm sitting there to a man that's having challenges and he's blaming everybody else and will not look at himself because I've learned I'm not going to be able to help this person because they will not take responsibility for what they've done. Therefore, they have no intention on changing. So when we, tonight, as we talk about how God treats you in sin, please don't use that as an excuse to say, I don't have to own up. I did it. It was me. I was wrong. That was one of the things that God respected about David. I've sinned against you. You alone. I'm wrong. I did it. Don't ever run from it. There's no, and hopefully after tonight you'll have no reason to. So now, God begins to explain what is the effects of the choices that they have made. But I want you to see something here in verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Verse 21. And also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Who did this? Not Adam. His idea was fig leaves. God actually takes them from 
probably the worst clothing pick you could choose to the best. I'm going to give you the best clothing available to you. So here's my question. Has anybody else in here, has anybody in here or in the sound of my voice ever betrayed God, lost a planet, doomed the human race for 6,000 years? Anyone? Anyone? So if you are not that bad, please understand when that man was that bad, God shows up and still gives him the best available. The man that lost the planet, the man that doomed the human race, the man that cost God his dream, God still shows up and helps him. Very first story in the Bible, you have completely fouled things up, and I'm going to help you. All right, go with me to, um, let's go to John, wait a minute, just a second. Well, I'll tell you what, before we uh, get there, go with me to Psalm 107. This psalm has helped me repetitively in my life. Because I have often qualified for this song. And I want to I jump down to um, verse 17. Fools, because of their transgressions and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Let's stop right there. Who caused this? Fools, because of their transgressions, because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Who caused their affliction? They did. How were they doing? Because they were foolish. Fools, because of their transgressions and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Now notice this. Their soul abhorred all manner of food. They would not eat anything that was provided for them. They drew near to the gates of death. Now let's just recap. <laughs> These fools went out there and made a bed for themselves. They caused themselves heartache and affliction. When somebody tried to feed them to bring them out, they said, no, I'm not taking it. And then the just result of their actions showed up. When you sin, there is a bungee cord attached to death. So as I walk with sin, I'm tightening up the bungee cord. And at some point, when this bungee cord tightens up, death is going to strike me. I don't know what de level of death there will be, but death will hit me. New, King, uh, uh, New Testament vernacular would be this. If you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. Now be clear, 
God is not hitting you with this death. You are hitting you with this death. Because you're grabbing the bungee cord and pulling it to you. Or you are literally sowing the seed and corruption is coming up. God is not sitting in heaven trying to make these seeds come up. He's not doing this to you. You are doing this to you. Are we clear? So, these guys did this to themselves. They drew near to the gates of death. And like a lot of people, what did they do? They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And He said, you've made your bed, now you're going to lie in it. Is that what He said? But I thought that's the way it was. I thought God wouldn't help me with the problems I created. I thought God wouldn't help me when I was the one that brought me near to death. When I had messed everything up. When I had destroyed my life. I thought God's not going to help me because after all, isn't He just trying to teach me how wrong I am? Isn't He just trying to make sure that I understand what a wretched person I am? Surely He will not help me. So they drew near to the gates of death. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. So what does he do? He saved them out of their distresses. What distresses? The ones they caused. The ones they originated. The ones they brought on themselves. He helped them. He sent his word and healed them. And delivered them. From their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and His wonderful works to the children of men. Now, tomorrow night we're going to get into why is He like this. And especially if you're having trouble believing this, you need to be here tomorrow because I'll explain it to you. But this is who He really is. Religion will try to tell you, well, you know, you made your bed, you're going to have to lie in it. Or that God did this to you. Not you did it to yourself. God did this to you. Do you know how often I've had to get next to my bed? you know why I'm very familiar with this song? Because I have been this fool. And I've had to bow next to my bed or wherever I was and cry out and say, Lord, read this and then tell him, Sir, this is me, sir. I have been this fool. But I need help. And because of this, I believe you'll help me. Now, even still, I knew that it said this, I had trouble receiving it because I didn't understand God's motives and His motivation. That's what we're going to get into tomorrow night. But I want you to begin to see who He really is. Not who you've heard Him to be, but who He really is. All right. Go with me to um, Luke. 15. Are y'all getting anything out of this? Now, uh, just to recap, in, uh, in, in 10... He's talking about how God and the, the angels react um, over one returned person. 
uh, that gets saved. But then in verse uh, 12, or excuse me, in verse 11, he starts in into what the story is commonly called the prodigal son um, because it talks about prodigal living. But I like to call it the, the story of the loving father. Verse 11 says, A certain man had two sons. The younger son of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far-off country. And there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, I want you to stop just right there. Okay, so this is... Uh, there's a, there's a lot in this, honestly. Uh, I've actually taught for, I think, five or six weeks just on this one passage. But I'm gonna, I'll get you a couple highlights. First off, when you are young in the Lord, sometimes it seems like you receive easier from Him. Because you're, you're the younger, right? And you don't know anything yet. And you just say, Daddy, help me and give me. And then it, stuff just shows up. So much so that sometimes older saints get mad because they'd like, I've been praying for this for like 10 years and, and they in here for 10 minutes and then God's already done this for him. And then they start acting like the older kid and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Now this younger son evidently has this impression that daddy doesn't really know how to live life. He's got all this stuff. He's got all these belongings. He's done real well, but he really, his ideas of living are outdated. He's not really enjoying life. He's really not up with the times. And he really doesn't understand how life has changed since he was a kid. And so I'm, I'm, I, I want to go ahead. I know what times are like nowadays. And I want to get out there and I, I want to live my life, right? I, I want to live, you know, you know, you're living back in the 50s. And, I, you know, this is 2020. And, you know, I, I you know. You got all this stuff, you might as well enjoy it. So what I'd like you to do, Daddy, is just give me my inheritance. Funny thing, Daddy doesn't argue. Daddy says, all right, son, I'll help you. Yeah. Now, what a lot of times people don't realize is it says he too divided to them his livelihood. Not to him, to them. And We'll, we'll get into that in just a second. So this boy decides he's going to go out and take all this stuff. And he's going to uh, basically act on his idea of what living is like. And so he does. He goes out and lives life according to his principles, his rules, completely contrary to the Father. And what happens? He loses everything. It's all gone. And so now it says, when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Curious thing, the father was not in a famine or unaffected by the famine. This boy was. This is how we know he wasn't doing what he had learned from his father. He was doing what he decided to do. So now he, he's a hard-headed kid. So he doesn't just go home then. It says he goes and joins himself with a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. Here's a question. Did the father put him in the hog trough? You're sure about that? Absolutely he didn't put him in there. 
Did he put him in the hog trough and say, listen, I want to teach you that daddy's right and you're wrong, so I'm going to teach you about life. I'm going to stick you in the hog trough. Did that happen? And this is interesting because this is a story that Jesus is telling about people. Because it's amazing how often people get the idea that the father puts you in the hog trough. How'd this boy end up in the hog trough? His decisions. His decisions took him to the hog trough. Not the father's. Father didn't have anything to do with it. He did it. Now here's the interesting thing though. The father actually knows he's in the hog trough. The reason we know that is when he comes back, there's no indication anybody told him what was going on, but the older son says, your son has wasted his living, with wasted his possessions with riotous living. Well, who told him that? Because the servants didn't tell him that. How'd they know? How'd he know he'd lost everything? All the servants said was, your, your brother who was dead is alive again. How'd they know? Man, this guy's, got some in, this guy's got some dough. He's got some influence. He knows what's going on. He, they knew where the kid was. They knew what was going on. Why? Okay, now here's where people get this idea about love. Well, if he really loved him, then he would go down to the hog trough. No, he wouldn't. Because then he would not be respecting his, his choice. He would be taking away his choice. I don't care how you, I don't care what mistakes you've made. I don't care how you want to live your life. I'm just going to fix this for you. I'm at, let me put it another way. I'm going to go ahead and mock the law of seed time and harvest. And I'm going to say that just because you've been sowing this, I'm going to make sure you don't reap it. So I'm just going to go ahead and sow. I'm going to go ahead and mock this law of seed time and harvest. Sometimes I, you know, I had a young man who was like a son to me. I don't know if you ever met Chris. And um, he decides, he traveled around the world with me. He gets to be 19, he decides he wants to become a police officer. So he does. Um, and he was good police. But, um, and he became a cop at 19. Well, unfortunately, some of the officers he was on the force with had the idea, if you're old enough to be shot at, you're also old enough to drink. And they introduced him to alcohol. Problem was, he couldn't handle it. So, the first time he got so drunk that he had a car accident, um, I got a phone call. He was in the hospital. And I had a, fr I had a friend, so to speak, who said, um, we can make this completely go away. Will you do this? So I didn't know what I'm teaching you tonight. Or at least I wasn't walking in it. And I said, yeah, let's undo his choice. And I will, uh, yeah, I'll owe you a favor. So then, he skates completely. He, he had an accident. He, he stayed, had to stay with me for, I guess, a couple days. Terry and I, my wife. Because um, he had to be woke up every hour, or every couple hours because of how the impact and stuff. And so he had to, for uh, like a day or two. So... I undid his choice. I mocked the law of seed time and harvest. 
And I thought, this is what love does, right? I mean, he's like my son. I'm, I'm just going to try to fix this for him, so to speak. So then he starts getting so drunk that he comes to firearms qualifications drunk. So they call me and ask me what they need to do. So I undo his choice. So now he's not getting in trouble because now, because uh, the firearms instructor says, they said, you know, he, this is what he deserves and this is what ought to happen. And they, they said, but, you know, you're, you're one of us. If you say nothing happens, then nothing will happen. So nothing happened. It didn't get better. All he learned was is that he could do and choose, make those choices, and there was no consequence. If I'd have let him feel the consequence of the first one, I, I wonder whether things would have began to change. But now we're two in. He eventually gets into another accident. He loses his job. And he is completely immersed in a lifestyle because then when his choices start standing up, they're extremely severe. Whereas before, it could have gotten his attention and now he's sitting in a pretty deep hog trough. And I take partial responsibility. I don't beat myself up over it, but I'm not going to lie about it either and say like I didn't have anything to do with it. Because when I watch this father, this father loved his child and we'll see this here in just a second. And he honored the choice he made. He never went down to the hog trough to get him. As long as you're in that hog trough and those are the choices you want to make, there's nothing I can do for you, son. And I'm going to honor the choices that you make. If that's the seed you want to sow, I will honor your harvest. But if you ever want to come out of it. So one day the father, the boy is down there. And he says this. Now, I want you to think about this. Most, some people would say, well, you're a terrible parent. If you know your kid's down on the hog trough, you ought to go down there. As though he, you don't really love your child. Well, let's see whether he does or not. He says this, and he said he would have been glad to fill the, his stomach with the pods if they no would give him anything. But notice verse 17. But when he came to himself, folks, it's going to be incredibly hard to help people until they come to themselves. And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me to be like one of the hired servants. Is he repentant? Oh, absolutely. Does he realize his father was right in the way that he lived? Absolutely. That his father's ways are correct? Absolutely. Now, this is a side journey here, but I want to talk to you a little bit about relationships for just a second, right? If somebody tells you that they are, they are apologizing and that they repent, they will not dictate the terms of their repentance. Um, I see people all the time, I wrong Sid, Pastor Sidney, I wrong him, and when I wrong him, I, I repent, and then I start demanding that he forgive me. Well, you need to forgive me. Aren't you a Christian? I thought you, I thought you believed the Bible. I repented, right? 
you need to forgive me. You need to just let this go. You, need to just, you, you just need to restore me. You just, you, come on now. Is that this son's attitude? That I'm just going to show up and say, okay, I've repented. Now you got to do this for me. See, when you start hearing somebody dictate the terms of their repentance in the relationship, they are not repentant yet. Because a truly repentant person, people say stuff like this, why don't you see I've changed? They don't have to. They don't have to. And if you're truly repentant, you won't demand it of them. You'll realize, I made this situation. It's not their fault, it's mine. They'd have no reason to look at me like this if I had not made these choices. And so when you start hearing that, be wary. When people start telling you, no, you must, this is the way you, you're a Christian, this is the way you must do. <laughs> no, no. When you come, when a person, and this ought to tell you how you ought to repent. I don't expect anything from you. I'm just here to tell you I was wrong. This is not on you. You didn't do this to me, I did this to me. And I don't demand anything from you. I'm saying 100% I did it. That's how you change. So he, he goes back and this is what he says. Father, I've sinned against heaven before you alone. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he arose. It's not enough to think this in your house. You need to go straighten this out. He arose and came to his father. But notice this. When he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, think about this. For all the people who think that this is not love, that this is not a loving father, he might not have run down to the hog trough, but he was always looking in the direction of the hog trough. My son, I'm looking for my son. I'm looking for my son. Now notice here that the father, when he sees the son, does not turn and walk and go into the house and sit down and wait for the son to come to him and fall down and grovel and tell what a word, unworthy worm he is. The father sees him and runs to him. I'm coming to you. I'm not sitting high on a lofty perch waiting for you to make full contrition. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. I want you to know you're wanted. I want you to know you're loved. I want you to know that no matter what you've done, I'm not turning aside from you. I love you. I'm going to hold you and I'm going to pull you to me. I'm going to kiss you and I'm going to let you know you are loved and you are mine. So he starts in on his religion, right? The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What he did not realize is what the father realized. There is no sin that you could commit that wouldn't make you mine. You're still mine. 
Don't make a mistake, son. You made some major boo-boos, but you're still mine. You're still mine. That has not changed. We, I still want you. You're still mine. I love you. I want you. I'm glad you're here. He completely, all this stuff. Now the son, thank God he was truly repentant, right? That's, that's honorable thing. But do you notice the father wasn't waiting to hear all this stuff that he's going to say? He's immediately moving. How, why? He knew he'd changed. He was running back to the house. Now notice what happens next. Now, now here's, here's some rubber meets the road stuff for you. You ever blown it in the morning and needed help at night? Am I the only person? I, I've been in ministry for 28 years. I should put both hands up. If I had a chair, I could put both feet up. Um, because there's times I've blown it in the morning. And I needed help at night. And you know, there's always this kind of scratching in your head about how I blew it this morning. And so am I going to be able to help? And then you see the people that have been running for a while. And then they come back. And it's almost like this attitude. And, I, and honestly, this is a problem I had with, within me because of my natural father. Because my father would have turned and walked back in the house. Would have locked the door behind him and waited to hear what I had to say through the front door. And then we, it would have been a conversation like this. All right, so you're back. Okay, I tell you what. <clears throat> if you'll be good for two or three weeks, show you're serious about this whole repentance stuff, then I'm going to give you a burlap sack to get out of those stinky clothes. Now listen, uh, I, I guess you got to eat. Um, you hadn't been eating very good, so I, I tell you what, I, I'll let, I will let you eat the hog slop. Okay, I, I'm going to go ahead. They wouldn't let you eat those pods. I'll let you eat those pods. That'll keep you alive while we see whether you're serious about this or not. Now, if you're good for six or eight weeks, right, then we'll, we'll actually give you a meal. Now, you can't come in and eat at the table, right, like with the family or anything like that, because that'd be crazy. But, but we will give you a little something extra outside. Now, if you can be good for a year, we'll actually let you in the house. You can sit down at the table. Now, if you can make it five years, we'll actually give you a robe. Ten years now, we might actually begin to consider you family again. Now that sounds crazy, but what happens when you've been running for years and you need help right now and people think, God's going to wait, have to wait to see whether I'm serious or not. I'm going to have to like put in some time before God will actually like really help me. I mean, he might be able to love on me a little bit right now, but before he'll like really help me, he's going to have to like, I'm going to have to put in some time. I'm going to have to show some contrition. I'm going to have to make sure that he knows I'm serious. Because surely he's not going to like open up the windows of heaven today. I don't know. What did the father do? But the father said to his servants, bring out not just a robe. Bring out the best robe. Is this father withholding anything? Next. 
put it on, put, you put it on him. Don't even make him go get it. You go get it and you put it on him. And put a ring upon his hand. Now, wait a minute. Here! Because that's the family signet ring. That's the ring that says that you belong to this family. That's the ring that says you can do business. That's the ring that says that what this family has, you have access to. And he's just handing it over. Put on the best rope. Give him the best right now. Sir, don't you want to make sure he's serious? I want you to give him the best robe. And I want you to do it right now. See, if you just blew, if you blew it this morning and you need help tonight, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You need to repent. You need to straighten it out. But on the other side of it, uh, your daddy's looking at you saying, I, put the best robe on him. Give him the best right now. Don't give him a little bit to tide him over. Give him it to him right now. Give him the best right now. So he says, and he says, and put uh, sandals on his feet. And bring not just a calf. Go get the fatted calf and kill it. And let's make merry for my son. Now, now this is interesting. This, my son, was dead and is alive again. Well, it's interesting. The father never said to the son, you are dead to me. But in the father's mind, when you made a choice to leave here, you decided to die to me. You didn't want me. But now you have come back to life. You have returned. And now we're going to make Mary. Isn't that awesome? That, now, now notice this. This is a story Jesus is telling to, to explain who the Father is. <laughs> Let me tell you what He's really like. He's talking about when one turns. He talks about all the angels in heaven. And the next story tells about this loving Father. Who has this screwed up kid. Who does it all wrong. But comes home. And the father does not withhold anything from him. But gives him the best right off. This is the reason that in Ephesians it says according to the riches of his glory. Now, there, there is a little bit of a problem. By the way, this is, should be help, hope for you parents because this is a really good daddy and he's got two knuckle-headed kids. Neither one of them really truly understood their father. See, we need to make sure that we as children, that we don't have a really great dad, but we don't ever really truly understand him for who he is. Because what happens is the older boy shows up, right? Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and grew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what would these things meant? And he said to him, your brother has come because he has received him safe. In sound, your father was, has killed the fatted calf. No mention of all the riotous living. He says, but he was afraid and would not, or excuse me, he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. 
Yet you never gave me a goat that I could make merry with my friends. As soon as this son of yours who came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. So they were pretty clear on what he'd been doing, right? They knew. You've killed the fatted calf for him. Now notice what the father says. Son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. Because see, here's another problem. Older boy had a different issue. He is trying to earn from the father what has belonged to him the entire time. They divi- he divided to who? Remember when it says that they divided the livelihood? He divided it to who? Them. The younger boy walks off with all his stuff. Everything left is his. The older boys. Everything. But he spends these years. Listen to what he says. Lo, these many years, I've done everything you've said. I've been earning this. Here's the problem, son. You didn't have to earn it. It was yours by birthright. It was always yours. The difference is, son, you're the older boy. If you want a robe, I shouldn't have to go get it for you. It's already yours, son. If you want a robe, you go get it. You want a ring? You know where they are? You go. You want the fatted calf? Son, that calf's been here a while and it belongs to you. If you wanted to make merry with your friends, you should have done it. People do this to God all the time. It says that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And then we do all this stuff trying to earn what he's already given us. Rather than just saying, Daddy, I'm taking my place in my family. And I'm going to possess what you've already provided. Because we don't understand how good he really is. I've given it all to you. What is it that you have need of? I've given it to you. I've given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. You don't have to beg. You don't have to plead. You don't have to earn it. It was already yours the day you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. What, my, what God's Word does is this. God's Word teaches you how to walk in what has already been provided. But this is who the Father actually is. The Father is not sitting there in judgment. Come in here. And receive the due to your wicked ways. <laughs> Does he sit there and say, okay, before we get into all this stuff, I, I need you to, I want you to sit here. I want you to tell me everything you've done wrong. Start. Don't leave anything out. Come on, tell me how sorry you are. Tell me everything dumb thing you ever did. Make me believe that you're sorry you did it. He cuts him off when he starts it. (laughs) You being son is enough, boy. Get in on in here. You're loved. You're wanted. All right. What time is it? I can't get to my watch. My sleeve's too tight. Um, Go. No, it's, it's jammed up. I had a smaller watch when they did this shirt. All right, go with me to uh, John 21.
Maybe you have a calling to ministry. So, um, there's this fellow named Pete. And he was one of the, the, the main guys with Jesus' organization. And um, he's, he's uh, you know, he, he's, in, he's in tight with, with the boss, right? He's one of the big three, Peter, James, and John. And um, comes time, the boss is going to be crucified. And, and Pete's got a lot of advantages. Pete is one of those guys that Jesus will slap him down and he just stands there. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one moment you're being told, you know, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this unto you. And the next minute you're being told, get thee behind me, Satan. In front of your boys. Right? You, it's none of this, like, let's, you know, talk in private. It's like, no, you're of the devil. Uh, yeah, you're listening to the devil. I mean, you, you do what none of the other boys do. You get out of the boat. You go walking on water. And when you, you know, you get back, you don't get an attaboy at least. At least you got out of the boat, not like these other 11 yahoos right here. It's like, what is the matter with you? Why is it that you have no faith? Have no faith. I was out there with you. What are you criticizing me for? Jump on them. But he just takes it. Paul slaps him down in public. And he takes it. And then later writes, these things that Paul said are hard to understand, but they're scripture. I admire that about Pete. I admire that, man, he, you know, he'd take a lick and then keep on ticking. I mean, he just, you know... He gets corrected. He doesn't get offended and say, I'm not going to this church anymore. That Jesus, he's just crazy. And, and I walk on water and I don't even get a good job. I'm leaving this ministry. Right? So there are things I like about Pete. But Pete's got a pretty serious issue because, you know, he's like, he's like committed to Jesus. And he tells, Jesus, you know, says, uh, he, said, he says, Jesus, I'm going to die with you. And Jesus said, look, Pete, I hate to break it to you, but uh, tonight, uh, you're going to deny me three times. No, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be with you. And now, to his credit, when they came to get him, I mean, he's ready to go. I told you, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready. Did you see, I already got his ear. Where's the next one? Come on. I mean, because in that moment, you know, he hit, you know, the excitement. But then when they take him and he's behind, it's like, you know, I, I don't know that that was such a good idea. Um, there was a lot of them fellows. Maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just hang back here. And I'll just, watch, I'll just watch what happens. Right? Because people forget he was the guy that pulled the sword that cut the dude's ear off. I mean, he was ready to go. I mean, he, you know. But, but you know, sometimes in the moment you can be like really brave because you hadn't thought about it yet. And then you start thinking about it. And they're like dragging your boss and like he's bleeding and they're beating him. And you're thinking, wow, if they're doing that to the boss, no telling what they do to me. And so then he gets into this position where he, deny, he literally denies Jesus 
three times. Now, I don't know if you've realized this yet. This is a big deal to deny him. Because they've actually been told, you deny me, I'm going to deny you. Right? I'll deny you before my angels. You, you remember all that part, right? Okay, so, so now, if you're sitting there and you're Pete, I think this is the reason he lost the race to the tomb. Because I think they were doing pretty good running he and John as they were running along. And it's like, dude, if he's up, he's probably going to want to talk about those three roosters. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I know everybody else might be excited, but I'm the guy that said, no way. I'm with you. And then I wasn't. And so he... Uh, <laughs> So here he is. Now, you're sitting there. You have betrayed Jesus three times, right? You, you have renounced him. You've done exactly what you said you would not do. And it's interesting when, it's, when Jesus makes a comment, he goes, go tell my disciples and Peter. So Pete's, you know, and we already know he's trying to go back to fishing. And so now Jesus is having a conversation when he shows up, goes and finds them, right? Now, in Pete's mind, he could be thinking, well, of course he's down here because John's with me and, man, he and John are tight. Because remember, Pete, Pete was not near as close because when, when Jesus says, hey, somebody's going to betray me, Pete says, John, ask him who it is. <laughs> he wouldn't do it himself. He, he was saying, John. John, man, you ask him. He'll tell you. Do it, man, do it. <laughs> right? It, this is the guy. So when you see Jesus on the shore, and you know that it's him, and John says, it's him, you're sitting there thinking, he's probably here to see John, and, or maybe talk about the roosters, I don't know. <laughs> funny question, funny interesting thing about this, did you know there is no record of Jesus ever bringing up the roosters? Where he confronts him and says, hey, what was that whole thing about how you're going to die with me sort of thing? That there's no way. And I say, but there's going to be three roosters. No, no, no. No, no, no. And then you left me hanging. I'm standing there. I heard you. He doesn't show up to condemn him. You know what he does show up to do? In um, verse 15, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. So what's that, sir? You're putting me back in ministry? He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep, take care of them, shepherd them. Sir? Me? The one that denied you three times? You're not done with me? You're not throwing me away? After I, I literally denied you, sir. You, do, you know that. Yeah. 
But do you love me now? Do you love me? Because Pete, I do love you. It's not a question, Pete, of whether I love you. The question is whether you love me. And if you love me, I'm not done with you. I will restore you. I will restore your life. I will restore your ministry. You still have a place with me, Pete. We're not done yet. And guess what? He gives them the opportunity to reaffirm three times. It's over, Pete. I don't want to talk about yesterday. You don't own a time machine, do you, Pete? You can't undo it. So let's talk about today, Pete, and where we're going forward, not where we're going back. I love you, Pete. Do you love me? Let me ask you a question. Maybe you're in here, and by your decisions, you went to the hog trough. Maybe by your decisions, you, with your friends, with a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you denied him. And you've been wondering, maybe he's done with me. I've made some mistakes. Here's a man that literally denied him when it would have counted. When nobody else stood up and said, hey, he healed a bunch of folks. When nobody spoke up from him, those closest to him. And yet, Jesus goes and finds this man who betrayed him, who said, no, never, I would never do that, and did. And he goes and finds him and says, I still love you. The question is, do you love me? And if the answer is yes, Pete, (laughs) we've got a future together. I'm bigger than your mistakes. I love you more than I hate your sin. I just want to know, do you love me? Can we go on from here? That's the same question he's asking you. I love you. I haven't stopped. I know what you've done. I know the choices you've made. And I still love you. And I still want to help you. Oh, but you don't, Pastor, you just don't understand. Well, go with me to uh, Luke 15. Can you give me a few more minutes? Excuse me. Go with me to John 8. John 8. I apologize. Verse one, uh, but when Jesus went to the mount, uh, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. I guess we can start in verse two. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, "Teacher, this woman was caught in the uh, in adultery in the very act." Now, let's just stop and take all the religion out of this and get real with it. This, would be, this is what this would be like. I think he was seated. So, so, if I'm standing here teaching, right? And then all of a sudden, 
this door opens. And all the preachers from here in Landisville come in with a half-naked lady because she was caught in adultery in the very act. And they don't seem too concerned about her humility at all. So they're not going to like say, excuse me, ma'am, could you get dressed? We're going to go to church. No, we're taking you right now and you're coming here. So you all are sitting here. I'm teaching and they come in and now it's y'all, me, half-naked lady and all these preachers. Now think about this. And here's this woman in church that was just committing adultery. Now, they started to talk to him about the law of Moses, but the truth is, is they don't care about the law of Moses. They don't care at all. They don't care anything about the law. They don't care anything about that. How do I know that? Because there's only one person here. I don't know if you've lived long enough to know this, but you don't commit adultery by yourself. So if they were really concerned about straightening out the people of this city, we'd have two people here. (laughs) But we only have one. So this is not about the law. This is about how can we trap you in some way. But there's this woman in church. How many of you know an adulteress? Probably one of the last places she was thinking about being while she was in bed is I hope I get to be in church around all the church people in about 10 minutes. And I hope when I go that I don't have very many clothes on so the whole world can see me for exactly the person I am. And here she is. This woman is brought into a church to be a pawn in a political game. Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, I think that's going to be important because she wasn't, this wasn't something she did 10 years ago. It wasn't something she did 10 days ago. It wasn't even something she did 10 hours ago. It was something that happened 10, 10 minutes ago. Enough time to bring her out of the bed to this church. Because see, sometimes timelines matter with us. Well, you just don't understand. Years ago, you don't know what I did. Well, here's somebody that's in church 10 minutes after they did it. And not by choice. In the very act. Now Moses said, Moses in the law commanded us that such, she's not even a person to them. See, that's what religion does. Is it makes this whole relationship sterile. You're not even a person anymore, you're just such. That such should be stoned. But what do you say? They said this, testing him, that they might have something with which to accuse him. In other words, ideally, they wanted one of two things to happen, right? They wanted him to say, yeah, stoner, so that they could turn and say, you see, he is just like us. I don't know why you've been thinking he was any different. Or, don't stoner and see this guy as a heretic, because now he's going against the written word of God. 
So it looks like they've got the perfect deal lined up. Except Jesus does something they have no, no, nobody expects. He doesn't do anything except kneel over. Start writing on the ground. You should learn to do this when confronted with a situation you don't understand. Or know what to do. Talk to the person that does. The person on the inside of you. Your Father. Your Lord. Jesus. On the inside. Right? Stop. Because people say, well, well, you know, what was he writing on the ground? If it mattered what he was writing on the ground, it would have told us what he was writing on the ground. Now, I love all the different things, and there's some great messages out there, but I don't get all caught up in that, because it, even after the, the people, it doesn't say that they looked on the ground and were convicted. It says when they heard this, they were convicted. It was what he said. I personally believe what Jesus was doing is, is this is a pretty, you know, a lot of times we don't think about Jesus being under pressure, but right now, honestly, if they brought in a woman half-dressed into my service with y'all sitting here, all the preachers, and now you're demanding an answer, my heart's probably going, I got to get this right. Not only that, I'm looking at y'all acting like this is a tennis match. What is Jesus going to say? What are they saying? Jesus, them, Jesus, them. Because y'all would be, you know for a fact, you would be on Facebook right now. Guys, you're not going to believe what just happened. You'd be talking to your neighbor. What do you think is going to happen? What's he going to say? You know, I know her. (laughs) You got all this going on. And Jesus, he's going to hear from God. He's not going to be pressured by the moment. He's not going to be pressured by the preacher. He's not going to be pressured by the crowd. He's not going to even be pressured by this woman's life. He's going to stand here. He's going to stoop and ride on the ground until he gets an answer. And he's not going to say anything till he does. Would God that we would all learn this. So then he stands up. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And then, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. In other words, don't add anything to what the Lord told you to say. Don't try to explain it. Don't try to embellish it. Don't try to make sure everybody gets a hold of it. It's like, no, this is all I heard him say, and that's all I'm going to do. That's it. Yeah, but they want to know, because they're pressuring him, right? It says, because uh, he, he acted as though he did not hear. When he stooped on the uh, he said, uh, he, he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. In other words, what are they doing? Well, come on, man. Answer. What are you doing? What do you say? What do you say? And he's just sitting there writing on the ground as though he does not hear. Now, I know this sounds eloquent to us in hindsight with this story, but how do you think this sounded to the woman? She has been brought out of bed. She has been brought to the church by herself. So it's evident that she is just fodder for this. They don't care anything about their religion. They're a bunch of phonies because they didn't bring the guy with them. And now they don't care anything about her. She is nothing to them. And now their first statement is, Moses said she should die. And she's down here half naked in front of the church people and hearing that I'm about to die. My life is over. 
How did I get this place? Why did I do what I have done? How did I get here? And I'm about to die for this. All these people are sitting here singing my my half-cloaked body. I'm completely exposed. And the leaders of the church are the ones that are hanging me out to dry with no care for me at all. They're the ones who brought me here. And then he says, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. She doesn't know how this is going to go. She doesn't know whether they're going to buy this and go along with it. Right now, all she's thinking about is stoning. Now, an interesting thing happens. Because they thought he had them trapped, now he's got them trapped. Then when those who heard it, heard what he said, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning from the oldest even to the last. Well, that's pretty simple. Because, and we see it in our society today, right? We're young. We know what's going on. Uh, We are, we're awoken. We know. And if you've ever made a mistake, you're trash. And you are beyond redemption. Because we are, we know what's going on. You get a little older, and it's like, well, no, uh, I don't want to just topple over people who make mistakes, because uh, in the last 53 years, I can think of a list of mistakes that I should be toppled over. So when I, if I was standing there, and I heard this, and he says, uh, let him was without sin cast the first stone, and I might have come in there just like, yeah, we're going to get this woman, and it's just like... Uh, I should probably leave. I, <laughs> no, I, that's not my rock. I, I need to leave. Because I, uh, I got a list. And so the younger people are watching. No, no. Well, yeah, yeah. Where'd Harry go? Uh, <laughs> Bill? Well, they, well, I, yeah, I, I hadn't done all right. Yeah, I, I can't pick up a rock. I got to go. Now, here's the interesting thing. You're the woman on the ground, and you're like, are are they going to throw a rock? Now, they're they're leaving one at a time, (laughs) right? But you never know if somebody's not going to say, well, there ain't nothing wrong with me, you know, (laughs) and start chucking, right? You just don't know. And, and none, here's the thing, none of the church people that are in the congregation, none of them are saying, well, this is not right, you poor little girl. Here, come here, darling, let's, let's just love you. No, it's like, let's see how this plays out. This is an exciting day at church. <laughs> and so, now I want you to notice what happens next. Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Because there is still one person. He is the only one that can pick up a rock. It's just him and her now. Standing in the midst. But he is standing alone with this woman. So you can understand there would still be a question in her mind. Because one man has not walked away. 
Notice this, when Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman. I want you to get a picture of this. There's plenty of people still there. Right? The entire congregation he was teaching, they hadn't left. Because he's about to turn around and address them here in just a second. Here's this woman. They were both on the ground. (laughs) Right? Jesus is stooped right and she's laying there. When he stands up, he shuts out everybody else there and sees no one but her. Hi. I want you to know that I see you. I see you in your pain. I see you in your mistakes. I see you. I'm not worried about what this congregation thinks, little girl. I'm concerned about you. I want to help you. Where are those accusers of yours? What's he say when he says there's no, where are those accusers of yours? What is he drawing a line between? I'm not an accuser. They were the accusers. I am not. Where are those accusers of yours? It's true. I'm the only person that can pick up a rock. It's true that I am the righteous judge. But I am not your accuser. I'm your savior. I am your advocate. Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. No one, Lord. Now here's the interesting thing. Did he ask anything of her before he saved her? Did he say, before I give you my answer as to what we should do about the law of Moses, let me, give me a moment to speak with this young lady. Let's see her, hear if she's sorry. Let's hear if she's repentant. Let's hear if she's willing to grovel before me. Now, what does he do? He saves her. Why does he save her? Because he loves her. And he's the Savior. He sees no one but her. Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. Now she's looking at him who's looking at her. And where the other men looked at her as though she was such and she was just cattle. She's looking into the eyes of a man that loves her completely. That has literally given everything for her. He has come from heaven to look her in the eye and say, You are valuable and you are important. And all of this, this is not who my father is. He is not about religion, he's about reality, he's about a relationship, he's about helping. So I will need to be clear with you. I don't condemn you either. I will not condemn you. See, a lot of people run from God because they think that in the presence of God is condemnation. It isn't. In the presence of God might be conviction, 
But in the presence of God is the love that pulls you out of the hole you've dug. I'm not condemning you. I'm not going to condemn you. Now, if condemnation was right and condemnation was of God, don't you think he would have done it? I mean, by the way, let's, let's not remember, she didn't commit this sin 10 years ago. She didn't commit this sin 10 days ago. She didn't commit it 10 hours ago. She committed it 10 minutes ago. And yet, he is not condemning her. He doesn't say, listen, you horrible woman, you're a terrible wretch, but in my mercy and in my grace, this is what I've done. No, I don't condemn you. Now, let me ask you a question. Does he, does he go along and say her sin is okay? Absolutely not. Because what's the next thing he says to her? Go and sin no more. In other words, I just want to be clear between you and I. I'm not against you, I'm for you, and I love you. But make no mistake, that was sin. And it will kill you. I'm not going to beat you. But don't, don't think because I've saved you that I believe that the choices you've made are okay. Do you know that when you sin, it's like God and you, want, you need help. God sees no one but you. He doesn't take a poll. He doesn't ask everybody else what they think he ought to do about it. Whether they're in agreement with it. Whether the religious people are fine with it. He looks at you and loves you. He looks at you and meets you where you are. He looks at you and does not condemn you. And he looks at you and says you need to get out of this. He turns then to the crowd because the church people are still sitting there. <laughs> right? Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now here's something interesting about the woman. There's no indication she ran away. You know, she could have run away the minute all the preachers left. Because the guys who brought her here are gone. She could have hoofed it, right? Jumped up and gone. Why didn't she leave? There was no reason to run anymore. She had found love. She'd found a man that loved her. She'd found a man that wanted to help her. She'd have found a man that would look past her weaknesses, look past her mistakes, look past her sin, and love her and help her out. So there was no reason to run. There was a reason to stay. That's where we have to get to, where we're, we leave our sin behind. Not just because we're afraid of their consequences, but because we found somebody who loves us so completely that we want to live for Him. And that we know He will help us even if just 10 minutes ago we royally messed up to the point it almost killed us. This is who He is. This is the one that looks at you and sees you. This is the one that cares about you. This is the one that says you made mistakes, but I'm going to help you anyway. But you can't do this on your own, but you and I together, we can do this. You can come out of this. Now, I'm going to finish with this. Well, go with me to 1 John 4. 
Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be amending my book um, because there's some people who have taken some things, and I, and I can understand what they're saying, and I need to be clear about some things. In fact, if you've already bought one of the Love of God books, I have a piece of paper for you I'd like you to take a look at, but I want to be clear about something. I want to see this here in verse uh, 4 and in verse uh, 16. This should be common to you. We read it the other night. We have known and believed the love of God. Hopefully now you're, you're starting to see the love of God. You're starting to know about it. And tomorrow we're going to talk about belie- getting further over into believing it. You know, really ultimately tonight, you should look at yourself and say, you know what? I might have really messed up, but I've never blown an entire planet. I've never doomed the human race. I've never, I've never denied him three times after I swore that I wouldn't. Right? I, I, even if I've ended up in the hog trough by the mistake, challenges I've made, at least that's not as bad as what the other guys did. And look how they got treated. The guy who sold the whole planet, God gives him his best right off. The guy who d- completely denied him, Jesus comes and looks for him, finds him, and restores him and puts him into ministry. We see how he, he represents himself as this father who runs after those who want to make a change in their life, who doesn't withhold anything and immediately gives their best. And that if you've completely sinned even 10 minutes ago, he will get down on the floor with you and look you in the eye and tell you that you have value to him and that he doesn't condemn you, that he'll help you. You should begin to see that this is how he wants to love you. This is how he's going to treat you. I don't know what anybody's told you about the way he reacts when you sin, but we've just watched how he reacts when you sin. That even if you've been a fool, and by your own choices, you've destroyed your life, cry out to him. And what's his response? I will save you. I will deliver you. And I will show you my salvation. And now here we get to this. And it says, uh, after to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. He who abides in love abides in God. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we might have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Now see, here's, here's I want you to think about this. How many of you have heard about God's going to judge you for this or God... God, this is the judgment of God and all this other stuff. And, and they do it like you should, you know, this is like terrible. And, and I mean, they're just like, they're, they're, I know with my grandmother, it's like it was constantly frightening. God's going to judge you for that. And then all of a sudden, God's going to judge New Orleans. And, 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 but he missed, right? He, he, he's old and he's been doing this a while, so he missed. So he hits a little further off. He, his aim's off, right? Um, and so, uh, right? And so... And yet, this says, when we accurately understand His love, we will not run from Him, we will run to Him, and we will be bold in the day of judgment. You know, most people look at judgment like this. If um, I've got uh, Pastor Sid, Pastor Jen, and Patrick here, and let's say that it's judgment day, right? And um, uh, one of the angels walks out and says, okay, you're number one, you're number two, you're number three. Well, most people are like, I, I don't want to be number one. I don't want to be number one. 
And, and so Pastor Sid would go to Patrick and go, can you swap numbers with me? I, I don't want to go in first. My God, I, I, I think about everything that I've done. I, I know I've made mistakes. And come on, you got to swap numbers with me, man. I don't want to go first. I'm terrified of what he's going to say. And this says you are actually supposed to walk into him with boldness. Because you know that you are loved. That even on the day of judgment, you are not to be terrified. You are supposed to realize, are, are you gonna, is there going to be conversations this day? Yes. But the one who's going to correct you, the one who's going to judge you, is completely and absolutely in love with you. And anything he's about to say to you, even in correction, is for your betterment. How do you know that? Because he's in love with you. Are you going to be, are you going to, is he going to say some things you're going to like, ugh, that stings? Yes. Because you're going to wish you hadn't done it. But the eyes that you're looking into will not be condemning you. They will simply be telling you you were wrong. And now this is right. Now this is the, the great and terrible day, right? The, the final day. But here's the problem. We don't, that day is a, a, a few days off. Each of us encounter judgment in a different place every day. And we have no boldness. And that day of judgment is in our own head. And we don't need for God to, to give a verdict from His throne because we'll give a verdict in here. Um, years ago, I was going to uh, fight with the Israelis. I was going to be there for, I don't know, 21 days or something like that. Now, if you're ever going to go fight with the Israelis, you need to train before you go train. Because if you don't, it's not going to go good for you. <laughs> okay? Um, it's going to be hard, hard enough as it is. So I was going to, I was training, and I was training to get ready to go to Israel. Okay? And... Um, one of the trainings that I was doing, we had a pipe, and I'm jumping back and forth over the pipe. Boom, 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 boom. Only it's, I'm jumping higher because I've got a, this pipe. Because it's a speed and agility exercise. I'm trying to get my speed up. I'm trying to get my, my agility up. So at some point, I step over. This is kind of towards the end of the workout. I step over. My ankle rolls, and I hear a very wet pop. The guy, one of the guys who was training me was a medical professional, and he says, stop, 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 you broke your ankle. I know what it sounds like, you just broke it. Now, here's the thing. As it pops, and my ankle breaks, and I'm falling, and even in my mouth, is coming out of my mouth, in the name of Jesus, by his stripes I was healed. Himself bore my sicknesses and carried my pains. But there's a problem. That might be coming out of my mouth, but my head is saying, you know, you haven't been reading the healing scriptures as no like you normally do. You know, you haven't been spending quite the time in the Word that you should. What am I experiencing? Judgment Day. And as I'm falling... I'm, I, as I'm sitting there, even though the right words are coming out of my mouth, my, I am experiencing judgment. And I have not, I, at that moment, we're going to find out whether I have boldness in the day of that judgment. 
And so I'm laying there on the floor, my head's telling me everything that I've done wrong, the devil's jumping in, and um, all of a sudden I, I, I made this statement, I said, my father loves me more than he hates my mistakes. My father would not withhold healing from me, no matter what I've done, my father loves me. And if I made mistakes, Father, right now, here and right now, I repent. But you would never withhold anything from me, especially since healing has already been provided. People say, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, let me tell you what happened. We just saw a woman. You, you know we just saw a woman who didn't even cry out in repentance that Jesus just saved, right? Didn't sit there and tell about everything she'd done wrong and confess everything. And he helped her, delivered her, did not condemn her. So I'm laying there, and, my, and I, I have to, because this is where people are missing their miracle, is because in the day of judgment, they have no boldness. They have no answer. And yet we're supposed to actually have, if we're supposed to have day, boldness in the day, the day of judgment, we should have boldness in this day of judgment. Boldness to answer. Yes, I've made some mistakes. No, I didn't do everything right. Yet, Jesus died for me anyway. Yet, stripes were laid upon his back for me anyway. Yet, he was made poor for me anyway. Yet, he looked at me and loved me and knew everything about me and died for me anyway. No matter what mistakes I've made, he is still my Savior. He is still my Lord. So I laid there on the ground, and I have, to, I have to answer judgment day. I have to get bold. Because see, this, what happens to most people is, you're right. You're right. I've, I've messed up. I didn't read the word like I should. I haven't been studying like I should. You're right. I'm just not going to get here this time. And what we have not become convinced of yet, this is not a you story. This is a Jesus story. This is not about what you've done. It is about what he's done. You didn't earn anything that you have received. It was all given. So I lay there on the floor. And I start answering the boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so am I in this world. I have boldness right now. I'm going to answer it. Why? Because he goes on and he starts talking about this. And he says, as, There is no fear in love, but perfect casts out fear because fear involves torment. If you've lived any long length of time, you know if you're laying there and having judgment day in your head and you're afraid you're not going to get help, it is tormenting. But how do you answer it? Love answers it. Love answers it. And so I, I'm laying there, and so I, 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 uh, I continue to train. I, I, I said, no, I'm going to keep training. He goes, no, it's broke. You need to, you need to go see somebody right now. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go on. So finally when it's over, my ankle's swelling up, and I, I called my wife, and she said, what's going on? I said, uh, well, I tripped, and my ankle popped. She said, if it was, is it broke? I said, well, if it was before, it's not now. I said, I'm going to the doctor. And, she, and I told her, I said, I want you to know that my father loves me more than any mistake that I've made. That Jesus is my savior. I'm not my savior. He's my savior. This is based upon what he's done, not what I've done. 
She said, all right. So I go to the doctor. They say they can't x-ray because it's too swollen. I said, they say, come back tomorrow. I come back the next day. They x-ray it and they said, well, we see where you've broken it in the past, but the modeling, you know, obviously, how, how long ago was that that you, you broke your ankle? And I looked at my watch and I said, uh, yesterday, about three o'clock. And they said, no, 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 this is like completely restored. I said, I've never broken this ankle before. I broke the other ankle. I've never broken this one before. But, but this is, but it's completely remodeled and everything. I said, I have no doubt, but I broke it yesterday. They said, well, it's probably going to have a severe sprain. I said, well, if it was broke yesterday and just sprained today by this afternoon, I should be completely ready to resume training tomorrow, which I was. But the only reason I got there was because I had boldness in the day of judgment. And though I, with all of my heart, reverence the Lord, I am not afraid of Him. I wasn't afraid he would turn his back on me. I was not afraid he would condemn me. I was not afraid he would cast me aside because his love had separated me from that fear. Now, one of the things in the book, I have a a chapter, and I did said it intentionally. Originally, the book was emails, and it says, I refuse to fear God. And to be honest, I put the title in there because I wanted you to click up and open the email and figure out what I had to say. And somewhere in the midst of this, people had had kind of misconstrued that I don't that I I don't believe in the fear of God that as far as a reverential awe I don't believe you ought to be terrified of God because it's going to be really really hard to go boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace you know understand if you're walking in to get mercy it means you've messed up and you need help and yet it says that we can go boldly to the throne of grace, obtain mercy, and find grace to help in a time of need. If you are terrified of Him, you will not go in there, especially not boldly. So I do not believe in being terrified of God, not if I'm born again. If you're not born again, you need to be concerned because Jesus is your only ab- access to the Father. That's it. I don't care what anybody else has told you. Being spiritual doesn't get you there. Uh, being, you know, whatever it is, don't the only the only thing they want to know in heaven when you arrive is have you accepted what Jesus has done for you and if the answer is no you cannot sit there and tell them how good you've been you cannot give them your giving records you cannot tell them every good work you've done they do not care because you will never meet their standard there's only one that met their standard and he gave you his righteousness if you have not received it you have no access and that you should be terrified over but if you are a born again child of God the last person you need to be afraid of is your father the last person you need to be afraid of is Jesus he wants to embrace you he wants to help you now so I just want to be clear with everybody and there's a sheet of paper that states it I wholeheartedly believe I actually believe this I believe when you begin to understand how much God loves you and what He has provided for you. Your reverence for Him will grow exponentially because you will realize no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, He embraces you, He pulls you close, and He loves you. And that is like, Lord, then I would never. You know, I love Pastor Sid, but I would, and I do not want to do anything to hurt him, but that is because I love him, not because I am afraid of him.
My love for him compels me to desire to do good to him, to be a blessing to him, not my fear of him. And that is the way we should be with the Lord. And we're going to get into that. How do you get there? You will find it much easier to quit sinning when you ask yourself this question, do I love this more than I love God? But there is no question who loves who. God loves you. And so I wholeheartedly believe that we should be in reverential awe. I believe that we need to understand that though He is our Father and though He is their Lord, He is Almighty God. And I think that that is true. But on the other side of it, I have no reason to be afraid of Him. And when He just, when, when they, when I, I actually told a guy this one time, he says, God's going to judge you for that. I said, tell me when and where I will show up gladly and stand before my Father and receive any correction He wants to give out. But also understand that judgment is a two-way street. I can also walk into the throne room and be declared not guilty with no case pending. And that is not something to be afraid of. That is to be celebrated. People forget that if you ever go to court and they tell you you've won, judgment has been declared. That's just as much judgment as the harsh stuff. And shouldn't we raise our hands and shout for joy? I have been judged. I have been judged the righteousness of God in Christ. I have been judged loved. I have been judged wanted. I have been judged His. I have been judged worthy to be called by His name. And He is the one that made me worthy. So, when they tell you that judgment is coming, say, my family and I have been looking forward to it. Any correction that is necessary, we welcome it. Because the one that will be correcting us is completely in love with us and only wants our good. Now, tomorrow we're going to get into how to make this real to you and how to, what you need to do. Did you get something out of this tonight? I don't care how bad you've messed up, you've never sold the entire planet downriver. You can go on from here. Leave the past behind. Nobody owns a time machine. You need to get up and go on. You can change today. Amen? Pastor Sidney, thank you. Now that's a tall, cool glass of water, isn't it? Refreshing. Refreshing in every way. So tomorrow evening we'll meet here again at 7 p.m. Everyone's welcome. Bring your friends. And we're going to go further into the love of God. Amen? All right, stand with me and we'll pray. John, lead us in a song. We need to sing before we pray.
for your love thank you that you've given everything and in return we give you all father we give you ourselves and we we celebrate you father (laughs) father I ask that you seal these things in our heart cause them to come back to our remembrance in those moments of judgment cause them to well up strong within us in the in the hour of need father say thank you in Jesus name and amen well one way that we love God in this house is by loving on one another so take the time and do that tonight before you go good evening everyone welcome to Church of the Word International We're so glad that you're here this evening. It's been a great week so far, hasn't it? I'd love to encourage you in the Word of God and Psalms 100 tonight. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Sir, yes, there you go. Oh, obedient bunch. (laughs) Serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. (laughs) Be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is good. The Lord is so good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endureth to all generations. Glory to God. Let's stand up together as family here at Church of the Word. And let's just thank our Father for being such a good, good, faithful Father. Amen. recognize that you are God. You are Lord. Let's just say that together. You are Lord. You are my Lord. Make it personal. Father, we ask you to have your way and will tonight. That your kingdom come, your will be done according to your plan and purpose, according to what you have seen and what you have planned. Father, we set ourselves in agreement 
with you. We set ourselves in agreement that the, your fullness will just come in and fill this place tonight. Fill our hearts and spirits tonight. Father, that you open up eyes and ears to hear, to see, to understand, to believe and know all that you would have us to believe and know. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name and amen. Why don't you turn and, and greet someone, tell someone hello, take a minute and introduce yourself to somebody. What size? Good evening. Good to see the house so well filled with people that are hungry. They have come. They're expecting to hear a word from the Lord. And then they go out and do. We're going to take an offering here in just a moment. So if you need an envelope for your cash giving, just raise your hand. Our ushers will bring one to you. There's also a place on that envelope to make out for uh, credit cards and... Uh, promissory notes, and whatever else you want to put there. And so uh, we're going to send uh, Pastor Kurt home blessed and not just cover his, his expenses, but enable him actually to do more in other places. And, and down in Florida, he has a great TV program going on down in Florida. And you know, there's, I love going into all the world, but there's no place like home. And this nation is my nation. This is my country. And so I love to see people taking local missionary work seriously. And so Pastor Kurt does that in Florida, and we're going to send him home blessed and enabled to do more than he could do before. So take a hold of your uh, offering, and we're going to pray over it. Father, we thank you that your great faithfulness has never failed, never will, that you watch over your word to perform it. And so we call forth your promises, Father. We remember them. We know you remember them. But Father, we remember what you said, that the one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So I ask you, Lord, for a great harvest for those that have sown tonight so that they would be enabled to do more as they go into the future. Father, I thank you too for Pastor Kurt and, and the ministry that you've given to him and assigned to him. Lord, I ask you to flourish him and prosper him in every way, even as his soul prospers. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name and amen. The ushers can wait on the people and the people will give unto the Lord. Have you all been blessed the last several nights being here? Wow. Just getting brighter and brighter, right? The path of the just gets brighter and brighter is what Scripture tells us. And so as light comes, there's something else that comes with it. With light comes responsibility to walk in the light. You know, you are not held accountable for the light that you don't have. But you are held accountable for the light you have received. And so, let's receive it with expectation to 
hear it intelligently and do it. Right? I had, uh, I just know in my spirit, because the Lord told me, that this week, these meetings are, are absolutely um, life-changing for some people in this room. And that from this, these meetings going forward, some things are going to be different in your life. Arthur, you in particular. All right. Lord told me when we were worshiping. This is what he said to me. He said, Arthur's life, his Christian walk, his walk with me is going to be changed and markedly different from these meetings forward. So expect different. All right. All right. Awesome. I have a scripture verse for you because I always do. Psalms 119 verse 162 says, I rejoice over your word like one who finds great treasure. Can we have that posture tonight? I rejoice over your word. Even when it hurts, right? I rejoice at your word like one who's found not just a little bitty treasure, but vast treasure. He goes on and he says in verse 165, abundant peace belongs to those who love your instruction. Nothing makes them stumble. So let's love His instruction. Take it. Receive it. And we're going to flourish and grow because of it. 